Welcome to Lab Life with the Air Force Research Laboratory. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Kenneth. Hello, folks. In preparation for the Air Force Association's 2020 Virtual Air, Space, and Cyber Conference, we're diving into the Air Force's first three Vanguard programs to better understand what they are and why they're important. You will hear from a number of voices this episode, so we'll introduce them each accordingly before their section. Without further ado, we are starting off with Mr. Chris Ristich for an overview and look into Skyborg. In three, two, one. Mr. Ristich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, could you explain uh, what you do for the Air Force Research Laboratory and the Air Force? So I really have two roles. Um, I serve as Director of Air Force Strategic Development Planning and Experimentation, which is a mouthful, uh, but SDPE as we call it. The intent with SDPE is primarily to look at operational experimentation of emerging technologies. So we want to take technologies from all sources, from, from AFRL, from other government labs, from industry, from uh, places around the world, and, and combine them in, in innovative ways with new kinds of warfighting techniques to create new warfighting capabilities. That's kind of it in a nutshell. So we're focusing on that mature end of the spectrum where technologies have, are emerging from all sources. Um, my other hat that I've, asked, uh, that I've been asked to wear more recently is the TCO. So the Transformational Capabilities Office. And the TCO is, is being implemented to support the, the S&T strategy that came out uh, last April. Um, the intent of the TCO is to serve as a, a focal point, a focusing element of the technology directorates of AFRL. So how do, we, how do we bring together the different pieces from the different technology directorates into new capabilities as well? So, and, and, and at the 6-3 mature sort of level, uh, and deliver them... Uh, in, essentially to transition them to, um, to new warfighting capabilities as well. So unlike most of, of the rest of the AFRO portfolio, we'll establish a very close relationship with the program executive officers, the PEOs, and the Air Force. And, and we've already seen that starting to hap- happen already, where we're meeting with the, the PEOs. The PEOs are helping to, us to actually map out a transition plan, map out the resources needed to do that, and then we work as, as partners to seamlessly transition those capabilities to the PEO and on to the warfighter. That's great. And you touched on the Air Force um, science and technology strategy. One um, thing that relates to this episode is uh, the Air Force Vanguard program. Could you explain that to us? So the uh, Vanguard programs are a special element of that transformational S&T part of the, the strategy, really looking at significant new efforts to develop and demonstrate capability that, uh, the way I like to describe it, is things that really move the needle in terms of, of delivering new capability, that really make a difference in how, we've, how we fight wars in the future. Um, not modest, small changes, but something that really changes the game, you know, a, a term that's kind of used a lot, maybe overused a bit. That, to me, is it. And then we'll look at it as, hopefully, the, the vision is system of systems kind of capabilities, multi-domain kind of capabilities, where we tie together all these elements to create a new transformational capability. And then, again, with our partners and the PEOs to actually work and transition those as we develop the, the technologies. And then... The Air Force has identified the first three technologies. Um, what are those? So the first three vanguards that were selected are uh, Skyborg, um, uh, the NTS-3, which is the Navigation Technology Satellite 3 program, and, and the Golden Horde effort. Okay. 
we're going to have the opportunity to talk to some experts about Golden Horde and NTS3, but could you explain Skyborg to us? I mean, it's got a cool name. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what more can you tell us about that? So, to me, Skyborg is, is a bit of a convergence of multiple technologies. That's kind of the, the vision here, again, and a focal point, uh, the, the, the kind of thing that you would hope a TCO will be able to do. But building off of things like low-cost and attributable aircraft technologies that have been developed in the laboratory, um, building off autonomy that has been developed, again, in the laboratory, and bringing those together in a highly flexible kind of a system. So the vision is family of unmanned systems with autonomy that can be tailored to missions incredibly rapidly. So think hardware and software reconfigurability in these, in these systems. So today, Skyborg, we could literally program Skyborg version one to be to go run uh, an, an ISR route where we're doing intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance. Tomorrow it may have a defensive role or, or a sensing, a forward sensing role. Um, so that's kind of the vision is modularity and how we, how we can bring different mission systems to it, how it can fly different profiles. And in all those cases, there's going to be a, a, a key linkage in how we do the, the teaming, the human machine teaming with that capability as well. So, so truly it is like when that arises, whatever the situation might need, it could adapt. Yes. Or we could use it. So, yeah, both, both from a day-to-day -day point of view, and, of course, we hope from a moment-to-moment -moment <coughs> point of view with the autonomy and the flexibility and those kinds of things as well. So that's, that's kind of the key is, is we've got to keep the, the intent is low-cost and, and, and attributable still a key theme in there. We need to keep these, these systems low-cost because part of the, the direction the Air Force is going in today is, is trying to get what we call mass on target. It's trying to get lots of things into the air and the ability to prosecute many targets simultaneously. That's sort of the challenge of the, of the great power competition that, that we're looking at in the future now. That's great. Yeah, thanks that's for, Thank thanks for introducing uh, Air Force Vanguards oh, to us. Welcome. Up next, talking about NTS-3, we have Dr. Joanna Hinks. Joanna, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Do you be able to give us your uh, position and what you do here at AFRL? Okay, so my name is Dr. Joanna Hanks, and I'm the current principal investigator for the Navigation Technology Satellite 3. I started at AFRL about four and a half years ago, uh, and I've been working with this program basically since I started, but you know, with a gradually increasing involvement to this point. So NTS-3 stands for Navigation Technology Satellite, and it's meant to push the boundary of today's position, navigation, and timing technology, making it more resilient. How does it work? Well, NTS-3 is designed to provide that resiliency by being much more flexible and agile. So there's two major ways that we do that. One of them is that we have a high-power, electronically steerable phased array antenna which means that we can point beams of signals to particular regions on the Earth where we care about it, where something's going on and we need to support our warfighters. And that's important because with a traditional GPS, there's just one signal sent to the entire Earth, and as a, as a result, we might be wasting energy where we don't actually currently need it. Um, this is much more targeted and can actually you know, be configured to change with time. The other way that we address this resiliency to be more agile is that we have a fully reprogrammable digital waveform generator on board, which means that if a threat is developed against one of our GPS signals, you know, particularly our military signals, we can develop a new signal to counter that threat and we can upload it to the satellite, 
and push it out to the users as a software update and immediately have that new capability without having to launch 30 new satellites and without having to send out millions of pieces of new user equipment, um, which is just not feasible. Yeah, that truly is a game changer. That's incredible. We, we think that will be a major game changer, that we can have a new signal capability in months or weeks and not have to wait 20 years as we've had to this last time. So it's a software update instead of a hardware update. Yes, exactly. Uh, which a hardware update is a big deal when you're talking about putting something on orbit. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, is there anything else about NTS3 you want to tell our audience or anything that uh, you may think uh, they need to know before they go out and talk to their friends and family about it? So one thing that's unique about NTS-3 is that we are actually uh, thinking of it not just as a spacecraft experiment, but as a system experiment. So the way GPS works, you need to have not only your satellites on orbit, but also a control segment that figures out where the satellites are and tells them what to broadcast. And then user equipment that's pushed out to everyone in your neighbor who's using that to find out where they are. So... It's a system-level experiment, and if you don't address all the pieces of the problem and make them work together, you won't get the capability. So we are actually looking at that entire system holistically. So this, eventually, you said this is really for us to help our warfighters, but this could trickle down through all GPS and affect civilians later on as well. Absolutely, um, and that's the way military technology tends to work historically. And GPS was originally conceived as a purely military system, and now it's billions and billions of dollars of impact on our civil economy as well. You know, we hope that some of what we're doing to protect our warfighter will also protect our civilians against interference. Even more to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing not to navigate in the middle of the ocean, but we also have people that can't just navigate from, you know, work to you know, the new restaurant, right? We need GPS. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's not the primary threat we're looking at, but, uh, <laughs> if, but yes, uh, we, we, we need to make sure that our, our technology is secure. And you'd be astonished at how pervasive GPS is. You know, it, it helps control our power grid. It helps do timing for cell phones. So if it disappears, there's a lot of things that are in trouble. And, and what does it mean that NTS-3 has been designated as a United States Air Force Vanguard program? So the idea with the Vanguard programs is that we need to take these transformational cross-cutting capabilities and that are real, we see as real game-changers for our warfighters and transition them to the warfighter faster. So from a program perspective, what that means for us is that we are actually working closely with our operational partners to figure out how this technology will become reality for the warfighter uh, you know, as soon as we're done with our experiment. Um, so our partners in this case are the United States Space Force and the Air Force Material Command uh, Lifecycle Management Center, who develops GPS user equipment for people on the ground. So the future of NTS-3 is looking very bright. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And last, but certainly not least, we have Golden Horde with Michon Lettingham. So I'm Michon Lettingham. Um, I'm the Deputy Program Manager for Golden Horde, one of the Air Force's three Vanguard programs. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank well, you for thank joining you. us. Yeah. So what is Golden Horde? And what's an Air Force Vanguard for that matter? So the Vanguards are the programs that the powers that be have determined have some technology that needs to transition to the warfighter quickly. 
so game changers, if you will, in the war. And so they've chosen three to start with. We're the first three to meet the Air Force S&T strategy, what used to be the 2030 strategy, um, to get programs that are developed in the lab transitioned to the warfighter without falling into that valley of death where they don't quite make it over that and get into a program of record. Absolutely. So what is Golden Horde? So Golden Horde, we're using legacy weapons, that weapons that already exist in the inventory, and we're making them networked and collaborative. So they will be able to speak to each other after they're launched. However, they will be programmed with a preset of plays from which they can choose, and they can't veer from those plays. So they're not artificial intelligence. They're not machine learning. They have to stick to the playbook. But if things change once they're launched, they can do in-flight target updates and they can reorganize themselves if some of them are attrited during the, the mission and say the ones that were going after the highest priority targets get taken out, the weapons will reorganize and determine who has the best chance of going after that particular target. And so they change their course of action based on what they see. And with multiple weapons, you're able to get better location of targets because they can triangulate positions. So this is interesting. This is interesting for the Air Force because of the capability, but also the, the legacy piece that it's something that we already have. Correct. We're trying to take weapons that are already in existence because it's a quicker path than developing new weapons, quicker and cheaper path than developing a new weapon and trying to put this into it. So this uh, demonstration will show that we can achieve this capability and then it would be able to be put into multiple weapon systems. Great, and can in flight, so you talk about how certain weapons, so they're, they're, they're networked, right, and, and some, some got destroyed or whatever, can they change the, is that what the play is, that changing the, a different one actually does the, the hit or whatever you want to Right, play? right. So it's similar to the best analogy I've heard is a football team and a quarterback is given a play, a call. However, he has a list of plays that all of his teammates know. And if the defense presents something that he thinks it would be better to do a different play, he can resort to the plays that he's been given. He can't go do something outside of those bounds because his teammates won't know what they are. In our case, we won't have given them those rules of engagement, so they have to stay within those bounds. So I thought that was a good analogy oh, to the plays that we're great giving. Way to break it's a great it way to break it down. Break it down. It's, really, yes, it's not exactly. a simple thing, but you do right, simplify, simplify it, it to that point. So. And a question about the name as well. So now when I think Golden Horde, historically, I think the Mongol Empire, what's kind of based on. Is there Correct. any reason that has a connection? So the brain, this was the brainchild of Dr. Rob Murphy, an AFRO man who's retired prior to my starting there, but he picked the 13th um, Mongolian Empire to base the name on, and our PM, Norma, has made the analogy of if you look at the picture, the typical picture from that time, there are multiple weapons. So there are spears and there are um, archers and there are clubs and so it's different weapons that have different ranges is how she sees it. So it could be put on a short range weapon, it could be put on a long range weapon and so she's kind of tied that picture in which I hadn't made that connection before. But that versatility but, makes sense. Correct, yeah. yes. So that's kind of the, and of course they invaded the, the enemies and overwhelmed them with force and so I think that's kind of where the name is based. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I was yeah. just curious myself because that's yeah. immediately what I leapt to when I. You were correct. So. <laughs> 
based on him anyway. And is there any other major things that, um, for any questions that airmen may have or people that may not know um, about Golden Horn itself, like anything that you want to let them know, uh, maybe even a smaller uh, a pitch as to what like it could do for the future, what we could look forward to seeing? So we are going to transition through the PEO weapons to a program of record, and they're still determining what the best weapon to implement this on is going to be. So that's still TBD. Um, I think the big push that I would give it is it's a benefit to the warfighter. So they will, hopefully we can confuse the adversary because they're not going to know what these weapons are going to do. So typically, if an adversary sees weapons coming, they know what their course of action is and they can counter that. In this case, they aren't going to know, so we're going to confuse the adversary, which gives our warfighter a better chance of surviving. We're also looking at simultaneous time of arrival um, on multiple targets by multiple weapons or one target by multiple weapons, which will prevent some of the bad guys getting away. <laughs> well, thank you for explaining Golden Horde to us. You're welcome. Thank you. thank you for having me today. Make sure to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube at AF Research Lab. And remember, stay curious. Logging off.